What's happening, everybody? On today's show, the legendary coach David Cutcliffe is going to join us as we look back on his career, sharing some stories from years coaching in the SEC. We'll also get his thoughts on Nick Saban and much more. Also, we'll go around the conference as Mizzou names a starting quarterback, some recruiting news for the Florida-Georgia rivalry, comments from Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss, Jaden Hazelwood at Arkansas. we got an injury at Florida, an injury at Alabama, and a whole lot more. Locked on SEC starts right now. You are Locked On SEC, your daily podcast on the Southeastern Conference, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And hey, what's happening, everybody? Welcome into Lockdown SEC. Great to have you guys along. I'm Chris Gordy. Thanks for making Lockdown SEC your first listen every day. Remember, Lockdown SEC free and available on all platforms, including YouTube and at LockdownSEC.com. Let's jump into it. Let's go around the conference. Boots out to the right. Makes the Around the conference. And we start with the cocktail party. Florida and Georgia playing annually down in Jacksonville and Being a neutral side game, there's been a push to move it back on campus as both schools would like to host recruits for that matchup. Kirby Smart's been very vocal about this in recent months. Well, according to On3Sports, the Gators and Bulldogs will now be allowed to host recruits recruits in Jacksonville this year. According to Dogs HQ, uh, they will both be able to host recruits, but they still will not be able to have any contact between coaches and recruits due to the off-campus nature of the game. But uh, schools will be able to provide tickets for prospects and their families. So, kind of a cool deal. Uh, You know, getting to host the recruits now. And uh, again, Kirby Smart's been vocal about it. I'm sure Billy Napier as well. It's a fun traditional rivalry. There's a lot of fans, both Georgia and Florida's fan bases, drive over to Jacksonville and enjoy the game. But I've also heard from other fans who would like to get it back on campuses. Play this game in the swamp. Play it between the hedges. Let's get back to that. See what happens here in the uh, near future with the cocktail party. Over Missouri, Eli Drinkwitz named his starting quarterback, going with Brady Cook. Cook beat out Mississippi State transfer Jack Abraham and Tyler Macon to win the job. Brady Cook played in five games last year, started in the Armed Forces Bowl against Army. A little bit of an underrated runner. He had a career-high 53 yards and a rushing touchdown that game, was 27-34 of 34 for 238 passing. So Brady Cook, the Missouri quarterback, will he hold on to it all year? Needs to go out there and perform well. Eli Drinkwitz said all of his quarterbacks went live on Sunday. Said he came out of that feeling really good about Cook. Added that he wants to and will run the football as one of the best 40-yard dash times on the team. And he said that he was the quarterback on the roster who ran to the fight. He said, uh, Coach, it means nothing more to me than to be the starting quarterback at the University of Missouri, so I'm here. I'm going to fight for it. As long as you tell me it's an open competition, I'm going to be here. He's done everything we've asked him to do and more. So, shout out to Mizzou, Eli Drinkwitz. And uh, Brady Cook. Over at Alabama, some disappointing news as JoJo Earl suffered a fracture in his foot in practice a couple weeks ago. Nick Saban talking to reporters on Wednesday said the injury will likely take about six to eight weeks to recover. So they're targeting October 1st as his timeline to come back. Saban said he was doing a really good job having a really good camp 
probably the best he's been on a consistent basis. Just saw a guy that grew up and was playing with a lot of confidence. Earl last season was named to the freshman All-SEC team as a return specialist before he suffered a leg injury against New Mexico State that kept him out of the Cotton Bowl. He had 12 catches for 148 yards, added 15 punt returns for 88 combined yards. He was expected to be part of this receiving core that has to replace John Mechie and Jamison Williams and Slade Bolden. Still got Jermaine Burton coming in from Georgia. You got Tyler Harrell coming in from Louisville, but missing JoJo Earl for the first month of the season uh, may hurt Alabama. We will see. Over at South Carolina, Joey Galloway this week on College Football Live talked about Spencer Radler, said he is a big fan of him, and said, look, he's under the radar because no one is talking about him. We're talking about a guy that was number one for the chance to win a Heisman going into last season at Oklahoma. Didn't go the way he expected. Got benched for Caleb Williams. But look at what South Carolina has. They got four starters back on their offensive line. They returned nine total starters to that offense. Said they're in the SEC. It's going to be difficult. But Spencer Rattler is a guy to keep your eye on. See if he can get some of that magic back and be what everybody was talking about when he was at Oklahoma. So Joey Galloway, a fan of Spencer Rattler. We'll see what he can do for the Gamecocks this year. And speaking of the Gamecocks, if you missed it on Wednesday night, ESPN started airing part one of an all-access five-part video series of Gamecock football entitled Welcome Home, South Carolina Football. It's going to air Wednesdays at 6 Central, 7 Eastern on ESPNU. The fifth and final episode will air on the Wednesday following their season opener against Georgia State, giving fans a little bit of behind-the-scenes access to Coach Shane Beamer, their assistants, players, staff, and everyone else. And look, if you're a fan of another team, particularly maybe Tennessee, not a big fan of South Carolina, you may skip the program. Florida may not be a fan of uh, South Carolina and their series, but Florida landed a big transfer wide receiver this offseason in Ricky Parasol from Arizona State. He had 48 catches for 580 yards and four touchdowns with the Sun Devils, but according to a report from 24-7 Sports, Parasol will miss some time after suffering a foot injury in practice this week. It's unclear how long he will miss, but it's going to hurt a weapon that Billy Napier was hoping to get into his system this season so we'll see how long he will be out or it'll miss lane kiffin talking with reporters this week said it's been difficult with all the new guys he said you got a lot of new guys that have played a lot we expect them to play that's why they're here but it's really a work in progress on both sides he said half the players in fall camp are quote portal guys he said i was thinking about our portal guys a play today that guy was just playing for auburn who was covering a guy who was playing for mississippi state that's just the world we're living in it is got to be very weird uh, look having guys come in from the portals not weird but having guys who were playing at other sec schools last season and now they're in your uniform that has to be weird one guy who came in through the transfer portal from oklahoma to arkansas Jaden hazelwood he's hoping to step up and be a replacement for Traylon burks in that offense with kj jefferson hazelwood played in all 12 games last season in oklahoma caught 39 passes for 399 yards and six touchdowns Speaking with the media this week, Hazelwood said, look, those numbers were not good to me. First off, I feel like I'm here where I fit. I'm here where I belong. I feel like I'm way more appreciated here. The coaches put me in more positions to contribute, and that's no shade on anybody. I just feel overall this year's going to be great, just not for me, but the whole team. So we'll see what Jaden Hazelwood's able to do at Arkansas. High expectations for him. 
Jimbo Fisher getting a lot of attention this offseason, rightfully so, but according to the latest edition of Athlon Sports, where they get quotes from anonymous coaches on other coaches and players, somebody not a big fan of Jimbo Fisher. One anonymous coach quoted in Athlon Sports said, Jimbo Fisher might be a mad genius when it comes to media because they get talked about alongside of Georgia and Alabama, and they're every bit an 8-4 and four program. He knows it. But I think that's part of the plan. The Aggies, of course, finished out last year with an 8-4 and four record, hoping to build off of that as a preseason top-10 team this year. Another anonymous coach mentioned in that article in Athlon Sports indicated that uh, took a shot at Stetson Bennett saying, the quarterback is back, but one of the worst things that can happen after a successful season or a title run is when a good but not great quarterback comes back. Everyone is expecting an advancement that might not be possible. That is shots fired at Stetson Bennett in Georgia. Bennett finished last year with a 64.5 completion percentage rate, 2,800 passing yards, 29 touchdowns, and seven interceptions. Uh, ESPN TV rights, uh, they've got most of the rights to the the SEC games and, uh, of course, the CBS uh, game of the week. They have those rights. But uh, ESPN announcing their broadcast teams for this coming season. The SEC Saturday Saturday night game will be Tom Hart, Jordan Rogers, and Cole Kublik, as they have been. Other SEC Network crews will be Dave Neal with Deuce McAllister and Andrea Carter. Uh, Taylor Zarzer with Matt Stinchcomb and Alyssa Lang will be another SEC group. ABC Saturday Night Football, once again, will be Chris Fowler, Kirk Herbstreet, and Holly Rowe. And then your Saturday night primetime game on ESPN, Sean McDonough with Todd Blackledge and Molly McGrath. And your ESPN and ABC Saturday crew, typically doing some of the afternoon games. Joe Tessitore, Greg McElroy, and Katie George on that team. So a lot of the same crews back in the broadcasting booth, but uh, just figured you'd want to keep up with who's calling what games. And, of course, uh, the group of Tom Hart, Jordan Rogers, and Cole Kublik. A bunch of goofballs that we've had on the show, and uh, we enjoy them. They are entertaining. In some recruiting news, over in Baton Rouge, they're uh, – Woodlawn High School four-star quarterback Ricky Collins committed to LSU on Wednesday night. He's the nation's number two ranked dual threat quarterback, according to rivals. He'd been committed to Purdue for a while and flipped. Decommitted from the Boilermakers on August 1st, and he's staying home and going to LSU. Six foot two, 190 pounds. Rivals has him as the number 103 ranked recruit in the country. Number eight recruit from the state of Louisiana. And like I said, the number two dual threat quarterback in the country. That gives LSU 19 commits for the 2023 class so far, having them in the top 10 rankings on just about every composite site. Meanwhile, Billy Napier over at Florida. He got a flip as well. Four-star linebacker Jaden Robinson out of Lake City, Florida. He flipped his commitment from South Carolina, where he committed a few weeks ago. He's the number 32 linebacker in this class, number 70 overall recruit from the state of Florida, and he committed to uh, – he's coming to Florida now. 17th commit in Florida's class, which ranks number 13 in the country. First linebacker recruit for the Gators in this group. And Mississippi State, Wednesday they uh, landed a commitment from a kicker out of Georgia. Carson Allen out of Woodstock, Georgia, Announced his commitment to Mississippi State. Not yet rated by any of the major recruiting services, but Mississippi State now with 15 players in their 2023 class. And a quick baseball note, Ole Miss head coach Mike Bianco, of course, led Ole Miss to their first national championship victory in program history. Both Bianco and Ole Miss agreed to terms on a contract extension and a raise this week. His new contract will go through 2026 
and his base salary raised from $1.2 million to $1.65 million. And those incentives include an additional $150K for a College World Series appearance or $400K if he leads the team to another national championship. So congrats to Mike Bianco. Well-deserved for a guy who was kind of on the hot seat not that long ago. They were ready to run him out of town, and now he gets to stick around and get paid even more money. There you have it. That is the latest news going on around the conference. Thanks for making us or Locked on SEC, your first listen every day. Coming up next, our conversation with the old ball coach, David Cutcliffe, our, uh, one of our favorite visits from SEC Media Days. You do not want to miss some of his stories coming up in just a second. But first, need to remind you guys about Built Bar. If you have not tried the Built Bar Puffs yet, you are depriving yourself of one of life's greatest joys. There is a new flavor, the Cookie Dough Chunk Puffs. Chewy texture, real cookie dough chunks, covered in 100% real chocolate. All the joys of eating cookie dough without the hassle of having to make it. And, of course, cookie dough chunk puffs, only 160 calories with a whopping 15 grams of protein in there. Go to Built.com right now, get you a box, and you are going to love the cookie dough chunk puff, whether you need a snack for your workout, late-night treat, or just need to grab a quick bite. Built is the perfect protein bar, and they taste better than a candy bar. Ditch the calories, fat, and sugar. Grab yourself a Built bar. Go to Built.com right now. Use our promo code LOCKED15. That's going to get you 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCKED15 over at built.com. Run along here from SEC Media Days on the show, and always good to catch up with a guy who is a uh, former coach. It feels weird to say former coach, David Cutcliffe. Does it feel former? Are you happy to be out now? No, I'm, I mean, that feels weird to me. <laughs> I, I am a coach. I'm still thinking like a coach. I refuse to think like an administrator. I think that's part of the uniqueness of my position is that I can bring a coach's perspective to the administrative side, and maybe I am trusted enough by coaches, I can bring kind of the administrative thought process and deliver it a little differently to coaches. It's part of my job. That's what I was going to ask. So your title is Special Assistant to the Commissioner for Football Relations at the SEC. I don't know if you could fit all that on a business card, but what – don't what, need to. <laughs> what is the the role exactly? Yeah, I mean, it is what I just said. Um, I'm a conduit for coaches and administrators. I'm an advocate for coaches. When we're in the administrative role thinking about the legislative process or the future of football, I can give them 46 years of insight of boots on the ground. Sure. Um, needed because the laws of unintended consequences are harsh. We're seeing a little bit of it right now. Yeah. And if you don't know the workings of the players, and the further you go up the food chain of the legislative process of the NCAA, the further you get away from the student-athlete, the further you get away from anybody that's ever coached at all. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to the football, there was none. So, you know, it's interesting that at the highest part, of all of this, there's not a reference of boots on the ground and also no one that football is specifically their responsibility. And so, you know, that's what I'm trying to help glue together a little bit as we continue to move forward. 
you, uh, you coached a long time in the SEC. You coached many years in the ACC, probably longer than most people realize you were there sure. in the ACC. Uh, you were named Coach of the Year in both conferences. What was the biggest difference, or was there one, in style of play, just everything? I don't know that as much is different on the field as that the structure of this league is so phenomenal with a fan base that's been established for how many years? Right. I mean, good gosh. I mean, I coached, <laughs> <laughs> and you go to Baton Rouge. You go anywhere. You can't hear. I have hearing loss that they say is <laughs> crowd noise induced, wow. okay? And so, it, you know, the ACC has not had the continuity or the consistency of got some great programs and a bunch of great coaches and leadership in the league, but how do you try to compare anything to the Southeastern Conference? Yeah. Mostly because of the fan base, we can say it just means more. <laughs> and I don't think you're pandering just because you work for the SEC now. I think you, I think you believe that. I mean, they, uh, it's, and you it's did a fantastic truth. job at Duke too. I mean, you made them relevant for the first time in a long time. Yeah, it was um, it was very rewarding. Um, great young people was able to put together a great staff. Uh, the president who hired me was awesome. Um, the, the AD, Kevin White, that I worked with for the majority of that time there, one of the most amazing administrators in college athletics. I wouldn't change anything that occurred other than a pandemic. Yeah, well. <laughs> and we all might say that, sure. right? Uh, when you look back on your years at Tennessee, what stands out most? You know, I mean, it's always players and the experience of working for John Majors and working for with Philip Fulmer, um, learning the deep traditions of General Neyland, meeting guys that played for him, having conversations. I, 19 years there was pretty phenomenal to have the opportunity to learn about Tennessee and the kicking game, and it made me a better coach to be with those people. what uh, I have a friend who's a Tennessee grad, and uh, <laughs> I said I was having you on, so I, I promised him I would ask a couple questions uh, for him. Uh, he asked, when you returned in 2006, what mechanics did you change with Eric Ainge? Huh. Well, I think the entire mental – that's a great question – the entire mental approach of playing quarterback, of uh, pre-snap reads, post-snap, and then an alarm – I, I put a clip together when Eric held the ball, something bad was going to happen. <laughs> Fumble, interception. So we, we learned how to play on time. We learned how to use our eyes and our shoulders to to set up throws. But we also learned pre-snap. He got a little frustrated with me. So when I first started coaching him, I never put in any offense. I, wouldn't, I refused to talk. Pass on concept, we studied defense and nothing but defense for a month. <laughs> and if you don't understand that part of the game, you, in my opinion, you, you can't play quarterback. He had to learn to control protections. That's a fundamental. That's not something that's a t intangible. It's tangible. Right. So you've got to understand – you know, all the – I use the term contours, secondary contours that mean something, where people can come from, where they can't come from. Um, just managing a game is a true fundamental, and it's, it's interesting 
he he's smart. He's talented. Um, I didn't have to do really anything with this throwing motion, you know. And so um, more of his mind and his, his ability to control a game at quarterback, you know, through his habits and his practice habits. And he was a lot of fun to coach. Another one he had in 07, what went into the decision to go more no huddle? And how did you adjust your play calling with no Meacham, Swain, Brett Smith? Well, that's part of the no huddle was that we lost an impact of receptions and weapons that I felt like we were going to have to be a tempo team to some degree. Mm -hmm. In my one year out, I had put together a no huddle system just for fun on my own. And when I came back into Tennessee, I felt like we needed to be a little more standard and I needed to be patient with Eric and his teammates. And we had some weapons that we could use. But um, did, he fr- did Eric Berry frustrate you at practice? Uh, yeah, no question. <laughs> but, you know, we are um, – I mean, I mean, I think that we're all – if you're going to stay in coaching, you evolve and you change. And it, it was fun. It was fun to – to put a, a new language together. We had called our offense a certain way, and I had put in the in that previous year, I had coded everything. Mm-hmm. And the players actually loved it. The coaches loved it when I presented it. And kind of the rest is history. I've never been back in the huddle. Let me go back a little bit further. We're talking with David Cutcliffe. 98, during a game, do you ever pay close attention to stats? And at what point did you become aware T. Martin was pitching a perfect game against South Carolina? Well, I I don't pay attention to them. (laughs) uh, But there's always some sports information person that's going to, hey, one more pass and he's (laughs) – okay, all right. And um, so I was aware of it. Um, What a beautiful – game for a beautiful young man um great person great coach so proud of him on and off the field and and more so even post playing but um that's a great memory you know to to see a guy play to that level yeah and i knew he could and you know we hadn't played great at 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 georgia um you know we we had some struggles on on that game there was there was a rumor that you really laid into him that game. Uh, I, I feel almost regret for laying that hard. <laughs> but he responded. He did, and that's who he is. And people don't understand the measure of a quarterback doesn't come how he handles success. It's how he handles failure. And that position publicly fails. Mm-hmm. Uh, that position is, is given way too much credit, good or bad. So um, they have to be able to take coaching. Any of these – People that say you got to coach a quarterback with kid gloves have never really coached a quarterback. Yeah. I think it's why Peyton and Eli would come back in the offseason because they wanted to hear coaching. I mean, I didn't mind telling them, you know, what the heck are you doing? What is this (laughs) on film? And, you know, the most important thing about any play you put in, particularly in the passing game, is that you have the ball at the end of that play. Mm-hmm. That's going to win a lot of football games. <laughs> and when you get careless with that thing, you need to hear from a coach. Okay. Well, speaking of that, fourth down fails. <laughs> Arkansas gets the ball. What were you thinking at that time? If I'm getting the ball back, there's going to be around 
this much time left, maybe around this yard line? Sure. I mean, you're always thinking ahead. I was pretty angry at the way we had played offensively, mostly due to me. I didn't think I had handled the game very well. We get the ball back. Phillips says, well, we're going to have to hurry up and score. We've got to throw the ball. So we're not throwing a single pass. <laughs> we are going to hand the ball to Travis Henry. And, you know, he, he agreed. He knew I was serious. And I said, call the offense up. You tell those dang offensive linemen that they better come off that football. And if they have to, tell them where we're going to run and we're still going to be successful. <laughs> and uh, Travis Henry was a great runner, and we just took the ball down the field. Now, I might have gotten fired by Phillip had we not scored mm -hmm. with that kind of mentality. But sometimes that's your best offense is when you, you, you go to that, that, that ace in the hole, that thing that everybody believes you can to. There's a mentality. You always have a collection of plays. Bill Walsh taught me that, that you create such confidence in your team. When it's called, they know it's going to work. <laughs> they believe deeply it's going to work. And he said, have a small menu of that. And then I heard from another great Bud Wilkinson talking about that same menu that it's got to hit every hole, but can be as simple as you need it to be, but it's got to have balance. I use that mentality almost all of my career, and it's amazing what players, when they hear a play or hear, this is what we're getting ready to do. We're going into code orange, code red. I've used code blue. I've, you, know, you understand what I'm right, saying? Yeah. That it's like stat, you know, in a hospital. Okay, here we go. And that, that, I think that's helped us win a few games through the year. One more <laughs> question from my buddy. He said, you and the other assistants were kind of bystanders when the tug of war between Fulmer and Majors that season. What were the assistants who weren't involved thinking while that was going on behind the scenes? I, I wasn't much of a, a bystander. It was an unfortunate time. Coach Majors' health had failed. We had started the year <clears> – <throat> really really strong if you you know he will remember and, uh, coach majors came back maybe a little early for what his health level was after open heart surgery right and it was unfortunate and that <clears throat> i had sleepless nights um i owe a great deal to what coach majors taught me um i owe a great deal to philip former for what he taught me and i worked closely with him on the offensive staff and it's just unfortunate that people can't view Tennessee football as a collection of that era. Philip Former and myself and other good coaches were a part of Coach Major's staff. We transitioned. Philip took what was built and made it much better. But <clears throat> the setup, if it hadn't have been for Coach Major's, maybe 1998 never happens. Yeah. Um, I wish people could let go of that, of, of putting pitting the two against each other and look at it as a union. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've had this conversation with Philip, and I've had it with Coach Majors before he passed away. When I was at Duke, Coach Majors was not happy with me and whatever issue or part I had in that thing, which was really none. Mm -hmm. And so I had him flown over in a private plane to talk to our staff. I know him well. <laughs> Took pictures of him in our stadium at Duke where he had played a great half before he got hurt 
And we sat down in my office and laid everything to rest. Wow. Um, and and I, I, I wasn't going to let that not happen. Yeah. And, it, and I told him, anything that you think I hurt you with, I, I want you to know I'm, I'm sorry for anything you think. But I said, tell me. And he, he had some false information about a couple of things. And then it was kind of comical at the end. I felt like I was in audience with the Pope because he <laughs> looked at me and said, David, you're forgiven. Wow. And, um, but that's a good lesson for the Tennessee people. It's a good lesson for anybody in life that we don't have to be on different ends of the spectrum right. to, to find a place. Maybe it's pretty appropriate for <laughs> right now oh, sure. in our country that, you know, let's, let's celebrate orange if you're a Tennessee alum or sure. fan. The last thing he said, he's really glad Ole Miss messed up by uh, getting rid of you and you ended up at Tennessee. So he's, he's, <laughs> he's uh, coming back to Tennessee. So he's happy about that. All right, one more question from me. Uh, I mentioned this before we started the interview, but you're three years younger than Nick Saban. You finally had enough and stepped away this year, past year from coaching. When is that guy going to hang it up? You know, I, I don't – It's he's so good at, at what he does. I mean, l- let's face it, Nick Saban in this era to do what he's done is unthinkable. Yeah. He may – and I know everything's arguable, but he may be the best college football coach in the history of the game. Okay. Um, he's probably like me. It seems like you watch coaches – hang it up, and then they deteriorate and die. <laughs> you know, and Nick's in great shape, takes care of himself, lives well. Dyes his hair. Well, that's okay. <laughs> looks good, right? It looks good, yeah. And But he is a um, – he's a big part of college football, so I don't think any of us want to see that happen. And I'll tell you what, John Wooden, I heard him say this, and it's in, I think, some of his books, but he said this at a speech. He retired, basically ending a game, and on his way to the locker room made a decision to retire. Wow. (laughs) Okay? I often told people that would be the way I would see it, and that may be for Nick Saban. Maybe he coaches his last game not thinking it's his last game, and as he's going to the team, to the locker room to talk to the team, I don't know, but I wouldn't predict it. I wouldn't do that. I think he's pretty unpredictable all the way around. Sure. The great David Cutcliffe. Coach, this has been a lot of fun going down memory lane with you and sharing some stories. And I have to say, I didn't ask one Manning question. They get enough attention, all right? That's right. And you know what? Let's talk Houston a minute. One of my favorite places to go recruit in some of the best high school football programs in the land, not just the state of Texas, exists right there and i would also say to the listeners there we all know friday night lights and texas high school football let's let's not let it change either yeah let's let high school football be high school football and let's celebrate all the players that play this great game yeah i can't imagine too uh nil getting into high school ranks oh don't even don't don't say it please (laughs) coach thanks so much for the time i really appreciate it All right, that's going to do it for this edition of Locked On SEC. Our thanks again to David Cutcliffe. Always good catching up with him and sharing some old stories of his time in the SEC. Uh, Thank you again for making Locked On SEC your first listen every day. Now go make your second listen. Check out some of our other great podcasts where we got you covered with Locked On Vols, Locked On Bama, Locked On Mizzou, whatever it is, we've got you covered 
with almost the entire SEC, wherever you find your podcast. I'm Chris Gordy. You guys have an awesome day. Reminder, we are back five days a week, so make sure you're subscribing, either listening to the podcast version or checking out the video version over on YouTube. We'll be back tomorrow with another great special guest you don't want to miss right here on Locked on SEC.